0: phobia this word which once translated means grave fear but today it is used to mean the fear of being buried alive the first accounts of people being buried alive started in the 14th century the medical world during this time was still in its infancy and if you were merely suspected dead then you were pronounced dead and quickly buried. The height of this was during the times of plague and sickness. It's easy to see why this fear quickly spread. But as the medical world advanced, taphophobia seemed to be merely the thinking of the past days. But recently, studies have shown that the fear is making a comeback. But why? All will be answered on this episode of Shadows in History. I'm your host, Tiffany Taylor. The medical technologies of today have invaluable services. We have access to medicines, proper diagnosis, successful surgeries, and longer lifespans doctors are capable of something many of us take for granted in this day and age the definitive proof of being dead as stated before being pronounced dead wasn't thoroughly checked before burial if someone fell into a coma they were believed to be dead and quickly buried Following the success of Mary Shelley's 1818 gothic novel Frankenstein, loved ones of the recently deceased found themselves questioning what distinguished life from death. The pandemic of a doubt spread across Europe, the United Kingdom, and the united states sparking a century's worth of both grotesque and ingenious devices to ease the living's mind of any doubt associated with live burials frankenstein was not the only story of reanimation to be spawned out of the live burial craze of the victorian era generations of stories passed down from families and communities only served to flame the fires of fear associated with being buried alive. One particular story coming from the Mount Edgcombe family tells the tale of Countess Emma. Emma married the wealthy Earl of Mount Edgcombe in 1761. When Emma was pronounced dead, she was buried with a valuable ring, a sexton, who had spied on the family while the burial was taking place, noticed the ring and returned over the cover of darkness to retrieve it. When the sexton went to snatch the ring, Emma awoke, confused and clothed in her burial shroud. The sexton, who was understandably frightened at the corpse's reawakening, ran away never to be seen again. The Countess made the half-mile journey back to Edgecombe estate, shocking everyone who had thought she was dead. To this day, the estate has a walkway commemorating Emma's journey from the grave back to her home. Countess Emma of Edgecombe finally met her real death in 1807. Starting around the 18th century, suspected corpses were subject to abusive tests to establish death. It ranged from the fairly benign nipple-pinching all the way to hot pokers inserted in their rectums. If no complaints registered on the last test, it must certainly be safe to presume them dead. Laughter ensued in 1846 when French doctor Eugene Beauches suggested the use of new stethoscope technology to listen for the existence of a heartbeat. While we should feel thankful that the days of inferior medical equipment and lack of knowledge are mostly behind us, we haven't rid humanity of this horrible experience quite yet there is evil in the world that still makes the threat of being buried alive a valid concern, as some of these stories point out. In 1889, Octavia Smith married a wealthy Kentuckian named James Hatcher. The newlyweds had a son whom they named Jacob. However, Infant mortality rates being what they were in the late 1800s, Jacob died in infancy. Losing her son put Octavia in a deep depression, and she was bedridden for several months. During this time, she also began showing signs of a mysterious illness. Eventually, her body entered a coma-like state, and nobody could awaken her. She was pronounced dead in May of 1891, just four months after Jacob's death. It was an unusually hot May that year, and so Octavia was buried quickly. Embalming was not yet a common practice. But a few days later, others in the town began falling into a similar coma-like sleep with shallow breathing patterns only to awaken a few days later. They discovered it was an illness caused by the bite of the Tsetse fly. Fearing that she had been buried alive, James panicked and had Octavia exhumed, thinking she might awaken. She had, but James was too late. Octavia's coffin was airtight. He found the coffin lining had been shredded and Octavia's fingernails were bloody. On her face was frozen a contorted shriek of terror. A traumatized James reburied Octavia and erected a lifelike monument of her that sits in the cemetery she rests in. Historian Jessica Forsyth notes that James went on to develop a severe phobia of being buried alive. Another story is that of Stephen Small. One night in 1987, a 39-year-old Illinois businessman named Stephen Small received a phone call that one of his renovation projects was being broken into. He didn't realize that by going to the property, he was being lured into his own abduction. His wife, Nancy Smalls, received a call at 3.30 a.m. informing her that the ransom on her husband was $1 million. The family received five calls in total and were willing to comply with demands, only they couldn't understand them because of poor sound quality of the messages. Where Stephen was during this time was in a homemade wood box about three feet underground. His abductors provided him with a flimsy breathing tube and some water, suggesting they intended to let him live if they got payment. But something happened that they maybe didn't plan on. Stephen's breathing tube failed. When police finally used their air patrols to find Small's vehicle, it was too late. They couldn't pinpoint how long he'd been inside the box, but they did deduct that he had been dead for several hours. His abductors, Daniel J. Edwards, 30, and Nancy Reisch, 26, were convicted of first-degree murder and aggravated kidnapping. They planned it, said Deputy Chief Robert Pepin. They built a box and they put a ventilation system in. On this next story, I'm placing a trigger warning. As this story deals with child abduction and murder, discretion is advised. In March of 2005, sex offender John Evander Cooey kidnapped and raped nine-year-old Jessica Lunsford. Murder was also among the charges as Cooey buried the girl bound in speaker wire in a trash bag near her home in Florida. The only thing is, Jessica wasn't dead when Cooey put her in the bag. Heartbreakingly, nobody discovered the girl's makeshift burial site hidden under some leaves until three weeks later. The medical examiner ruled that Jessica died of asphyxiation and that she managed to poke two holes in the trash bag before she ran out of oxygen. Her fingers were sticking out of the holes when they uncovered the bag. Buried inside with Jessica was her favorite stuffed animal, a purple dolphin Cooey let her bring along when he abducted her. As much of a gut punch as the story is, we can take some solace in where this landed Cooey. He was caught, prosecuted, and sentenced to death, though he didn't live to see his execution. Cooey died of cancer in prison. Earlier at his sentencing court date, Cooey mentioned that he would apologize to Jessica in heaven. I have bad news, Jessica's father, Mark Lunsford, said. I don't think you're going to make it there. Most of what can be gleaned from this next story is from a newspaper article dating back to 1884. Kentucky's Hickman Courier reported that a young lady by the name of Anna Hawkwalt was dressing for her brother's wedding and sat down to rest in the kitchen. When someone checked in on her a few minutes later, she was still there, her head leaning against the wall and apparently lifeless, the paper reported. Medical aid arrived, and the doctor assumed she was dead when he couldn't revive her. Anna's generally nervous nature and the fact that she'd suffered from heart palpitations was the flimsy cause of death. However, this assumption didn't sit well with some of Anna's friends, who thought her ears still looked pink as though blood was flowing through them. Anna was buried the next day, and her friends told her parents of their earlier observation. Of course, This perplexed her parents to the point of having her dug back up. They found the worst case scenario. Anna's body was turned onto its side, fingers gnawed almost to the bone, and her hair torn out by the handful. Stories like these were all too common and with such came some ingenious inventions that were brought to bring a morbid comfort for those who possessed taphophobia. They were known as safety coffins, and had various features as to alert the world above ground that someone might yet still be alive underground. One of the first safety coffins to be introduced was that of one which featured the idea of a string attached to a bell that someone could simply pull to ring the bell, alert someone that they were still alive. Simple yet effective. Another safety coffin that was proposed was that of one which had a metal pipe that came to the mouth of the deceased. If the person was still alive they simply needed to put their mouth to it and blow. This created a whistle effect to alert anyone who was near. Another safety coffin was a bit more on the strange side of creativity. When the person was buried, their coffin had a small window over their face that was able to be opened and closed. The window was left exposed for people to check to see if the person was truly dead. The last proposed and patented safety coffin was one that was able to send out a signal in Morse code. A small box was left at the fingertips of the deceased to send out a cry for help. So, with the safety coffins, was the idea ever brought up to date with modern times? The answer is yes. The safety coffin of today is just as simple and effective as some of the stated before. All it takes is a push of a button. A small button attached to a pole hangs over the supposed deceased, and if they awake, they simply push the button that sends out a signal above ground and works as either an alarm or a siren. As I said, simple yet effective. So why has taphophobia? made a sudden appearance again. I believe, in my opinion, with all that we have been through in the last year and the things that were witnessed, it closely mirrors what was seen centuries before with sickness and how fear can spread just as quickly as the disease. That is what I believe is a primal reaction. That is all for today's episode of Shadows in History. I'm your host, Tiffany Taylor. Join me next time as we explore the darker side of history. Sleep tight, little darklings.